I've been working this great shift And I ain't yeah, yeah. ancient I wish I could buy me a spaceship and fly Hello my fellow Brappentonians and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure, the man with a personality more infectious than a coronavirus, Mr. Shaheen Albany! That's right. I cover my face for your good, not for my good. You do a really good Cleveland. <laughs> you know, I didn't even mean to do a Cleveland. It just comes out like that. It's really, it's really voice. good. I can't help it. <laughs> That's just how it comes out of my That's mouth. That's just how I talk. <laughs> when I go to the bathroom and the floor uh, falls from under me and I say, no, 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 no. I got to stop before we get sued by Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> or maybe you can give me a job. I don't know. <laughs> Something. Something. You'd be a good voice actor. I could see it. I can see it. It's because I have a face for radio. You got a face for for something. I got a face for something. You know, I always wanted to be portrayed as like the evil henchman in movies. That's all I ever want to do. Like, I feel like I have a good face for a villain. But I mean, I'm not a villainous person, but I think I have the face for it. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. Like, you need like some super dark shades, though. All black, like leather get up. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, well, are, cat, are we, are we remaking the Matrix or something? What are we doing here? <laughs> all leather you, pants. Should- it should have been you instead of uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, man. You could have. Yeah, you want the blue pill or the red pill? <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you, sir? How have you been? I haven't seen you in so long. I, you know, if it wasn't for these Google Hangouts that you and I do, I would never see your damn face. And uh, <laughs> you know, I, I even enjoy the angle that, at which the camera's pointed at your beautiful face right now. No, this is not a flattering angle at all. I think it's, it's like, fine. Hey, I think it's fine. You're carrying. You're doing it well. It's beautiful on you. Would you like um, to see the underside of my chin? Here you go. There it is. <laughs> all all five of them. That's why I have a giant beard, so you can't see all of my chins. <laughs> beard. Who knows how many I have? Nobody knows. It's a mystery at this point. Uh, I've been doing well. I've been um, behaving as much as possible. I've ridden my bike. I believe in the last forty three days, I've ridden my bike five times. That's more than me. It's, I think it is more than you, and I I will admit that uh, two out of those five times were purely for pleasure. Cheater, cheater, naughty I know, boy. I know, I know. And, you know, I mean, I've been gearing, like, you would think I'm going to war. I get geared up from head to toe. I'm like, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to get geared up all the way, which you should do that anyways all the time. But, like, I don't even wear, like, riding jeans. I'm wearing, like, full tactical pants and the knee guards and the shin guards and the chest protector and this and that and the other. Question. Um, yeah. Do you wear a cup? I mean, no. No, I don't have one. I, are you really geared up? Are you really like in the spirit of AtGat if you're not wearing a cup? No, I mean, uh, it's it's most of the gear all the time, I guess. I have everything but my nuts covered. I always wear a cup, and I think this is why I don't have any heat issues coming off of the bikes. Fascinating. Is there yeah. a cup brand that you would suggest our listeners and your your friend here to perhaps explore options with um no any of them any of them's good they're all pretty much just rubber things you put over your dong is there a d3o cup <laughs> where it's where it's Boom. soft and I'm flexible that down that is that is gonna be next year's april fools oh man on. done you're welcome oh my god <laughs> if d3o doesn't make one i'll be so upset 
it's flexible, it's comfortable, it's snug where you need it to be, but plenty of room for growth. <laughs> it would actually be a really good material to make a cup out of, now that I think actually, about I'm, it. Actually, you know, ha 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 funny, but for real, daddy gets a taste, motherfuckers, but we came up with this idea. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. It's not nearly as crazy as you think it is. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I- Yes, uh, you, know, you know, I went out riding uh, two weekends, or last weekend, I went out and I rode that Street Fighter V4S. I put about mm-hmm. 250 miles on that thing, and <laughs> I, I'm so grateful to be married to who I am for a myriad reasons, but when she looks at you and goes, I mean, if you like it, if you can afford it, just buy it, and it's like, whoa, you know, damn it, all right. As soon as I can afford it, I'm buying it. Thanks, babe. <laughs> yes, the, the key there is afford it. <laughs> I, I think she's smart, though, right? She she puts that in there. That's the caveat. And she's like, listen, that's if the, you can afford it, you can breaker. have it. That, that bike is an amazing machine. I've, I've been stewing on it and thinking about it more. Like, I really like that bike. I, I have a really hard time with the price tag, but I really like that bike. So, you know, it's uh, interesting you say that, that, that. That's the thing that I've been thinking about. It's the price tag. And for me, it's not that I'm saying the bike's not worth it because I think it truly is, especially after, after putting 250 miles on it. But I have to reconcile in my head the idea of spending 24 plus thousand dollars because you and I both know it's going to cost more than that by the time you put the ex- extra stuff on it. So spending that kind of money on a bike that I'll potentially only put maybe like four, maybe 5,000 miles a year on, which I know is high still in this country for most people, but I put usually eleven to 12,000 miles a year on my motorcycle, on my Multistrada. So to me, it's like, okay, I spent 24 grand on the Multistrada, but I'm riding it, right? I'm driving it more than most people put miles in their cars. But now to spend that kind of money on something that I'm not going to use that often, as often as the Multistrada, I'm, I'm having a little inner struggle with that part myself. So high five to Team Ann for being so gung-ho and uh, you know positive about it. But now it's my own little uh, issue that I have to deal with here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, like I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about this a lot because uh, obviously we wrote the review and we talked about it on the show and we get a lot of a lot of people commenting and contrast and compare the Street Fighter V4 with the Panigale V4R, which is a forty thousand dollar motorcycle. Right. I rode that V4R at Laguna Seca for a session, so I got I don't know fifteen laps on it or whatever. And I giggled the entire time and had an absolute blast, even though I had to roll off past the soundtrack. So I was really only getting like three quarters of a lap um, because you have to you have to basically just roll off up the entire hill, basically. Right. And I Which came is where in, you want to put the power on. It. Yeah. I came in and uh, Rappi, the, the head PR guy from from Italy and uh, Giulio, uh, the the other one. The two, they're the two PR guys for Ducati Italy. They're like, oh, Jensen, that was the bike. And I'm like, worth every dollar. This motorcycle is worth <laughs> every freaking crazy dollar you guys are asking for. This is absolutely like, is it twice as good as like an Aprilia RC4? Like, no, because there's a diminishing return there. But it is so good. It is so crazy. There is nothing else like it on the market worth every dollar. If you're saying I have to spend $40,000 to have this, I'm going to be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. That totally right. makes sense to me. I don't know if I have that same feeling with the Street Fighter V4 where I sit there and go like, this bike is so much better. It's worth the $6,000, $5,000, $5,000 premium against its closest competitors. I don't know if that's really the case. 
the caveat mean I would really like to take it to the track. I think that bike is going to shine more on I the track, so or, or I should say, outshine its rivals more on the track. That's my so that's my my suspicion. I know the KTM has gotten better on the on the track. Like that was a big focus of their new chassis. So that would be interesting to see the the progress they've made. So, so like I'm kind of curious, but like. I'm curious I'll have, if I'll have that same reaction will come off and be like, no, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it. I don't know if it's $5,000 more, but it's it's definitely head and shoulders above, like worth every dollar. $24,000, sign me up. But I do know, like the more I look at it and the more I see because you came by, you came by my house with it right. uh, again. And I was sitting there looking at you on it. You are a very good model, by the way. You have Thank a, you. You, Thank have, you. You have a presence. You have a good mm. look. You know, it's just, it's, um, a, it's a giant belly and like a giant butt, but you know. But you pop that hip. You mm. really, you know. I mm. take I, I take a photographic direction very well. <laughs> <laughs> but I was sitting there, I was like, you know, it is really, it is really a good looking bike. Uh, it is really clean in its design, and like just like that, I think that's one of the things I would compare it to with the Street Fighter 1098. You know, my bike. Where I look right. at the 10, the 1098, and it's a great looking motorcycle. But there's all these like wires and hoses and stuff. Like it's not very clean. It's a naked bike that isn't very clean. And I think that was always going to be one of the issues with the Super Quadro motor too, where it wasn't going to be a very clean looking Street Fighter if you made it into one. And I look at the V4 and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's how a naked bike should look. You don't really no, see any wires. So well you don't together. really see any hoses. It's all internal. It's very cleverly done. Right. Uh, it, it weighs quite a bit more than Ducati thinks it does. It does. <laughs> I still think Ducati's weight is based on all fluids except for gasoline. I think that is correct. I think that is that is that is true as well. Which, and if I had to pick a way to weigh a motorcycle. I think that is the weight that everyone should report because it's a little unfair if you've got a GS Adventure or a Goldwing. Well, Goldwing actually has a smaller tank now, but some of these larger adventure bikes, some of these bigger touring bikes that have like these just, I'm just going to say it, fuck off big tanks. Like they're oh, just yeah. designed to go 300 oh, yeah. miles on a tank. And it's like, well, is it really fair to compare the bike that's going to have um, you know, maybe 40 pounds of fuel on it to a bike that, you know, has maybe only 20, uh, 20 pounds of fuel on it. I mean, I mean, you could look at the numbers on like my motorcycle, the Multistrada Enduro Ducati. I don't know if they still do, but they claimed originally that it weighed 525 pounds. And it's like, uh, I think it's more than that because I put eight gallons of fuel on that thing and I swear it's more than that. Eight gallons of fuel though. I mean, that's yeah, the right. thing. That's <laughs> That's a lot of fuel. <laughs> it's a lot of fuel. Which, by the way, in the summertime, when you're hot and you put fuel in that tank, it cools your legs right off immediately. Like the tank just gets cold. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's one of my yeah, favorite I mean, things. That's that's 48 pounds of fuel. It's almost 50 pounds of fuel. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. I mean, that that makes a difference. That And it's up high. Um, you know, it makes a difference. So I, I do think it's, it's – I think they are reporting the weight that everyone should be. But I don't think they're reporting the weight that everyone is, which is the issue. And at the end of the day, I can you can have like philosophical arguments on wit on what uh, weight measurement we should be using, but we definitely need to be all using the same one. And if right. you go and you look at like the U.S. Uh, regulations on it, it says with a full tank of gas. So I feel like it's a little disingenuous when it's like, okay, this is we're all supposed to be doing it with all the fluids and a full tank of gas. 
and that's the that's that's the law that's the regulation and then people deviate from it because well it makes their bike look more uh you know better on paper um i'm trying to see if i can what was the total amount that we weighed it was like 457 pounds i was just gonna pull that up i should have had that i didn't really think we were going to talk about this so uh, (laughs) (laughs) you caught me out there that's what you do. So it was 457. You're right. Yep. 457 on the nose. And then I weighed my Street Fighter. Which, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Uh, I did that the next day or whatever. Was that that night or the next day? I mean, it doesn't matter. Um, now, a couple caveats. I've replaced the the clutch cover. So it's an open clutch cover. I've got a slip-on Termi exhaust, which probably is a little bit lighter than the stock one. And I don't have any mirrors. So, like, my bike's pretty close to stock, but it's not stock. Like, it's definitely missing a few pounds worth of stuff. And, um, but I put that on the scales and it was 433. So, almost a 25 pound difference. Even with a full tank of gas? Even with a full tank of gas. Wow. So, that's interesting. Um, and then someone sent me, uh, uh, the weight of their Panigale V4. Okay, so his V4 was 452. V, V4S? Panigale V4. Oh, I, actually, I don't know if it's an S or a base model. He just says Panigale V4. 452. Huh. I wonder if that makes a difference because, I mean... It does. In, in theory, an S should weigh less because it's got the lighter wheels on it, too. Well... I mean, that's the thing but that's it's interesting. it's got the electronic suspension, all that shit. So, electronic you suspension know? adds like, uh, I forget what the number is, but it's between like five and eight pounds. It adds a considerable amount of weight, which is why they don't use the electronic suspension on the Superleggera models. Right. Because it just, it, the whole point of that bike is to make it as light as possible. That and electronic suspension on the track is a little weird. Uh, I'm not, not, I'm not a big fan of it yet. There's some interesting things you can do with it, but. For the most part, I, I I don't like electronic suspension. On I the think track. you just came up with a life hack for someone that wants to have a street fighter and not spend that kind of money. You buy the base model, skip the electronic suspension, and then buy a set of lighter weight wheels for it for like two grand. You're still two thousand dollars in the positive. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, I mean that's kind of why I bought a base model 1098 and not an S model. Um, because I was sitting there going like, so I'm gonna get like suspension and wheels. And like it's a street bike. Like for me, it was like, why do I need like super light right. wheels and like race suspension on a street bike? Like that's just, and I'm gonna spend a bunch of money for it. And I was like, I don't know. I, I bet I can get a hookup and you know, not spend that that coin. Now, have I ever changed the wheels or my suspension on my bike? No. So, you know, maybe it was all mute. But <laughs> it's the thing, right? Once you make, and I always used to tell people at the shop when they would shop with us, like. Once you walk out of here and you've made your purchase, all this arguing and all this thinking and all this stress that you pull yourself through is going to be gone. You won't even think about it anymore. Like you won't think about how much money you saved on your tires or this or that. You're just going to move on and ride the fucking motorcycle. Who cares? Um, I do think the electronic suspension makes more sense on the Street Fighter than it does on the Panigale. Because I really do think like, and we were having this debate in the comment section on my site where people were like, oh, we're never going to take that bike to the track. I'm like, guarantee you Street Fighter owners are going to take this bike to the track. Hell yeah. But that is a street bike that is good on the track, whereas the Panigale is a track bike that is good on the street. And that's right. like the, that's that for me is the big distinction between the two. Well, that and obviously there's a different aesthetic going on. But 
I like the idea like, okay, a capital S street bike, you know, that's what it's made for. Electronic suspension. Electronic suspension makes a ton of sense on the street. That's a great feature for street riders. Not so great on the track, but the way it's set up, you can you can work around it on the track. You can set it into manual mode and put in your own settings. You can, you know, you can do a couple different things. Um, so you can make it work. So I, I, I might, like my head, I think like the S model is like a pretty good, I was going to say a pretty good deal, man. Just hit me on the head. Um, <laughs> it makes a little more sense. Let's put it that way. It makes a little bit more sense to me. Did you, did you try the different, uh, modes on, on the street fighter when you were riding it to kind of see how the suspension feels? Yeah. It, yeah, it made a difference. I, I goofed off in all three different modes and, uh, ended up kind of, you know, fine-tuning the the sport mode just to make it fun because the road that i was on for most of the time really kind of bumpy lots of dips in it and lots of like tons of turns uh for those of you in the portland area i'm talking about 202 to 47 the scapoose vernonia highway so it kind of connects highway 30 to astoria through the curviest back roads and the cleanest asphalt i've ever ridden ever um and boy that bike was amazing it was i've done it on a panigale and it's a little bit painful and i've done it on a multistrada on my pike speak model going fast and it was a lot of fun and this thing felt more like my pike speak on steroids that had lost a ton of weight it, it just i'm i am so enamored with this bike right now it's a good platform it's a really good platform um the more i think about it the the more excited i kind of get about it um, the price tag is a, is a hurdle for me, but Oof. I think, I think Ducati did a good job on it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very, you have a lot of time at home by yourself, Shaheen, as we, as we do in these times. And, <laughs> and I haven't had a lot of human contact, so mm. I, it's really given me the opportunity to really like assess a lot of things in my life and everything I've done wrong. And you kind of <laughs> sit there and you're just like totally get a street fighter v4 right now i know <laughs> i could just imagine how much happier i would be <laughs> just just walk into the garage so i mean yeah. for that for that split i don't know like 36 hours that i had the bike i went into my garage and i took a picture of it because there was my multistrada my oh, track yeah, bike which picture. is the yeah which is the 2003 999 and the street fighter setting in between both of them it was just like <laughs> i just smiled even ann was like yeah you should definitely get one of these i'm like i know isn't this so pretty <laughs> You really are a one brand wonder over there, aren't dude. You? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking shill. The thing is, and I tell everybody, and they, I understand why they don't believe me. I love all the brands. I really, truly do. I even know Harley's that I really like. But prove it. Prove I know. It. Buy, buy another one. Prove <laughs> right? it. That's the I thing. don't believe you. Why would any of our listeners believe you? I don't believe you. Given the chance to buy a a Duke uh twelve ninety uh or uh Tuono or the Street Fighter, guess which direction I'm going. <laughs> yeah. I got four different brands in my garage. Come on. Right? I know. Represent. There you are. You're doing the thing. When I had that Goldwing, I had even more. I was well I was well represented. I, I have to tell you, I miss the Goldwing so much. Goldwing was a good bike. I bonded with that bike. We have memories. Yeah, Goldwing. It was funny. Someone asked me the other day, like, "Oh, I didn't realize your Goldwing was gone. You know, do you, you know, are you happy?" And I'm like, "Yes, absolutely, super happy, super happy that it's gone. It took up so much space <laughs> in my garage. You have no idea how easy it is to like work around in my garage now." But I was I can like, I "Can actually I get around do, that thing? I do miss having it. So what I really need is I miss not having a three car garage." <laughs> 
<laughs> right. That's the trick, right? That's the, the, this is the conundrum. If you can afford to yeah. have four or five motorcycles, you should be able to afford to have a multi-car, multi-vehicle garage. The thing is, if your forerunner didn't live in the garage, then you can have room for seven more motorcycles comfortably. But the forerunner, you know, it needs room. That was one of the things I was really excited when I bought my house is that um, I could finally put my forerunner in my garage. It had lived outside its whole life, and now it's in its elderly years. It's uh, 15 years old now, 14, 15 years old. Yeah. And I was like, listen, you're getting your like elder statesman status. We're going to put you, we're going to take a little bit better care of you now. We're going to put you inside. We're going to bring you inside. <laughs> we're going to wax uh, you once in a while. Ooh, no, I was definitely better about waxing it when it was new. Come on. No, it needs, a, it needs a coat of wax right now. That's a project for the weekend. I got three um, different brands in the garage. You can borrow all three of them. Oh, I got a bunch. I got a bunch. I just, it's the time. It's just the like prioritization. Uh, I got to deal with my sewer line tomorrow. Oh my God. Don't get me started. That sounds Anyways, shitty. That sounds shitty. Let's get back to motorcycles because motorcycles are rarely shitty. Um, oh, well, you know, sometimes. I wasn't going to go. I was going to hop around, but since we're talking about the V4, did you see, I know you did. Did you see the, uh, Jakusa design MH 900 E concept that's based on the, I think he took a street fighter. V, I think it's a street fighter V4 photo that he's, that he was using as a basis, but he did kind of like a modern homage to the old MH 900 E that tear Blanche inked. And I think 2000, 2001, 2001. Yeah. Something like that. That, that, that bike is stupid pretty. Like I thought the super veloce that MV Agusa has done is super pretty. This thing makes that look ugly. I don't know if it makes it look look ugly, and I definitely saw a couple of people be like, "Oh, I like the MV one better." The thing I like about this is, first of all, Ducati was there first. Ducati made the MH900E, which was like a, a modern take on the Paul Smart, or sorry, the Mike Halewood race bike, um, you know, with like Ducati history, and then kind of did like their own version of like a, a retro modern. But 20 years before, like retro modern was even a thing that we talked about. Right. So like the MH900E is already a very special bike in Ducati lore. It's a very special bike for me. I think it's one of the most beautiful bikes Ducati has ever made. Uh, it's so weird and cool. And I think it's I, truthfully, I think it's Turbulence's best work. Um, reasonable so minds can disagree on that. But I that's 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 it for me. Um so then to like kind of go back to that and say, okay, like here's the, here's the V4, here's our new platform, here's our new motor, and to kind of give it that same treatment, uh, dude, man, it knocked it out of the park. It looks, oh, man. I, there's a part of me that's like, I want to buy two Street Fighters, Shane. <laughs> Just tear one apart and make it look like I this. Wanna, I want to have a Street Fighter, and then I want to make, <laughs> make this thing out of another Street Fighter. And then yeah, I'm like, a- fudge, I'm $50,000 in the hole now. I know, right? I, I honestly, if there was a way to do this, I would probably turn the Street Fighter I'm I'm gonna probably buy into this thing. I mean, it's it's just so stupid pretty. Hmm. I don't like round headlights. I'm not a fan of them. I, I do in this instance. Like I do. I really do. I sit there I'm like, man. I could totally I get, get around it. It's uh oh, it, it's just as 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 T Man calls it, it's chef's kiss perfection. Mwah. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. It's just that good. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think Ducati will make a version of it, especially now that like someone's already made like their own little concept of it. Right. But I do think I do hope someone at Ducati is like taking that like, OK, we've got this V4 engine. We put a ton of engineering into it. 
it wasn't a cheap motor platform for us to develop. We need to make a lot of bikes out of it. And they're going to, you know, they got the Panigale V4. We got the Street Fighter V4. We know that there's a Multistrada V4 coming for 2021. But I hope there's like a 2022 or 2023 retro something that could be exciting. Something that's along this vein. Right. That could be, you know, like a cafe racer type bike. It's like, you know, like a modern, like a true cafe racer. Um, not like some just, you know, post-authentic nonsense cafe racer. I still hope Ducati does some kind of a Carlin Dunn livery specialty um, street fighter. Some kind of like an R-ish one that's got like... That'd be sick. Right? Like like imagine if it had like Olin's adjustable suspension, kind of like a Superleggera would and like lighter weight wheels on it and just that livery that he had on that bike, on the race bike. Take, take a Panigale V4R, put street fighter bodywork on it and give right. it that Pikes Peak livery. Right. And call it the Carlin, Carlin Dunn edition. Done. That'd be amazing. That would be like a, I bet they could do that and sell it for like 35 grand all day. Totally. Totally. I'd be very surprised if there wasn't some sort of conversation like that taking place. I don't, I don't have any inside information on that. I don't, I don't know nothing. I don't either. This but is just I, us make, this is just us musing. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I think it'd be a good way to, to remember him. I'm, I'm good with it. Guess what I did yesterday? Um, hoping you put pants on. <laughs> I did. I actually put two pants on because I did my <laughs> riding pants. I took my big ass Multistrada down some single track <laughs> trails with a couple of buddies. Um, gravity is the rule, especially when you're in a giant motorcycle. Um, these are the lessons I've learned, by the way. Um, speed and momentum are your friend, especially on a giant motorcycle. Don't slow down at all no. for any reason. No, um, I did. I did at one point. I came to this like crazy sharp right hander that like went up and it had roots and rocks in it, and I was just like, oh, maybe if I slow down a little bit, thud. <laughs> no man, no Newton. That Newton fellow, he was onto something. Son of a bitch. I thought it was just apples, not multistratas. But that being said, it was liberating and cathartic to be out like in a super. I don't want to call it a controlled environment, but an environment where you're not going that fast. I think we did like. 20 something miles and our average speed was like 12 miles an hour there are probably far less painful ways of doing this <laughs> as in like dirt bikes but man we had <laughs> such a fun time and everybody on dirt bikes would just stop and look at us like are you guys lost why are these elephants out here with you but we, we just we laughed the entire time we did it for like three hours and all three of us texted each other today like everything hurts my entire body hurts what why is everything hurt oh yeah because we were wrangling essentially 600 pound motorcycles with 240 pound riders on it so much fun if anyone's got a giant bike that's a adventure bike and they have dirt bike tires on it and they haven't done this i suggest try it out it's it'll make you a much much better rider you become so cognizant of the physicality that that your motorcycle has and how much space it takes and what you have to do around it uh and i, I don't know great exercise really really good workout and remember newton's first law of motion that's all i'm gonna say you know, <laughs> just, just, just have a, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, the, have a situational awareness. That's really what you need on these bikes and those trails. <laughs> you know, like I was thinking about that, like motorcycles in general, uh, I feel are devices that force you to think in the moment and to be in the moment. And I think that's one of the, uh, really powerful things and, and like the allure that, that, motorcycles bring to people like especially in just a stress relief life sort of way right i forget what it was 
I was reading some story and they were talking about like ways to be present and like, like how it affects your mental health and you're seeing like all the benefits of it. And it was right around the time that the stay at home orders were happening and like people had already been locked up for a couple of weeks basically. And, and I was thinking about like, you know, whether or not people should go out and ride and whatnot. And I still think, you know, especially in the beginning of it, when we didn't really know what the capacity of our hospitals were going to be, people shouldn't have been out on motorcycles. I 100% stand behind that because the last thing you need to do is take a bed from someone that, that, you know, needed it. And, and we're seeing in States like New York and uh, Michigan. And at that point in time, Washington was getting crazy. Uh, That definitely was, was a concern here in Oregon. Obviously it never got, terribly bad in fact i was talking to a uh, one of my hospital working friends the the other day and they were saying that you know it's actually been like the easiest couple of weeks for them ever because they don't have any of their um what do you call it uh i was gonna say voluntary cases but uh elective elective cases where people are like oh i want to you know get that kidney removed because it's a bad kidney or whatever it is <laughs> they don't even have they don't have any of those cases going on they just have you know, emergencies basically. And they're saying like, yeah, I had three patients the whole week when I normally have, you know, 20 patients a day. It's been really, it's been really quiet. So I feel like, you know, if you're getting out and about now, it's probably kind of okay. Okay. Ish. You got to be more cognizant of like transmitting, you know, germs and disease, especially if you're not, you don't know if you're sick or not. Right. Um, but if the whole point of flattening the curve was to avoid overwhelming our, our healthcare system, I would say like, you know, we have a pretty good handle on, where that's a really big issue and where that's not a really big issue right now. Uh, so that caveat being said, I was thinking about like, you know, people that were going out and riding and, and the mental benefit that it has. And, and it was because of this story and being like, you know, that is really the thing about motorcycles. It really is, especially like if you're on a racetrack or if you're, you know, dirt biking in the woods or any situation where you're kind of pushing it, it really forces you, you know, like, like you were doing on the single track. Um, it really forces you to be in that moment and to be present and to have that be your focus. You can't think about, you know, that fight you had back home or those bills you have to pay or that, you know, that project at work or, or whatever it is. You don't have time because you're completely consumed with the thing that's in front of you that's happening right now, this very second. And there aren't that many things in life that, that grab your attention like that. And that's a real powerful thing. Um, it's the only way I can understand surfing. I don't understand surfing as a as a hobby or a sport as all at all. Like I just I don't get it. But when I hear about <laughs> yeah, but when I hear surfers talk about like the flow and being in the moment with the wave and the ocean and that feeling of connectiveness, I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't get that when I go surfing, but I do get that when I ride motorcycles. So I understand what you're saying. Like if you get that from this, I totally get it. I totally understand the the words you are speaking and the emotions you're feeling, and I and I understand why you do that thing now. Um, yeah, it's a yeah. powerful thing. That's you, you can't you can't underestimate it. No, you really can't. And I mean, I, I I was such a strong advocate for people sort of staying off their motorcycles, and I I, I didn't ride my bike for I think nearly three, almost going four weeks. And, uh, once we kind of realized, cause my wife works in healthcare, uh, services. So once we realized that it sort of was calming down a little bit and it was going to be a little bit less scary to maybe, you know, be in, in a situation where, you know, something might happen. I slowly started kind of riding a little bit, but 
kind of recognizing that people were a little bit distracted in their cars and more more so than usual. And um, so I would make it a point to get out of town and just go, you know, into a quieter area and just ride out into the, you know, the hills and the curvy roads that most people don't go in their cars. Um, so even, even to this day, as I ride, you know, it's just, I tell everybody who's willing to listen to me, gear up all the way. Don't fuck around. Don't, I see these dudes out there and it's always dudes that, you know, are wearing tank tops and, and, you know, shorts and flip flops on, on some fucking R1 or something. And it's like, yo, bro, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) I know the weather's nice. I know the sun's finally out, but fuck man, it's just not worth it. Especially right now. It's never worth it, but especially right now, just don't, don't become a burden on, on the system any more than you need to be. So if you're going to ride, I'm, I'm all for it because I think it's super cathartic. I think it's super helpful. I, I, I agree. I mean, yesterday we were all on cloud nine. It was the first time in a long time where we didn't think about anything outside of just motorcycling. It was pay attention, be present. You know, you know, we were riding moderate trails, not black diamonds, just all blues. Um, but you know, shits and giggles aside, it really was so good to just pay attention to that for three or four hours. And then we all walked out of it just feeling a hundred percent better. I mean, physically we all hurt today, but <laughs> the mental, uh, aspect of it was, was fascinating. So, uh, yeah, go out and ride. Just don't be stupid. Well, I think that's always the, the recommendation. Don't be stupid. <laughs> uh, I know for myself, I don't think we're going to have uh, any press launches this year. Uh, I just got word. There was one press launch I thought that maybe would get delayed to later in the summer. I thought the Brutality uh, press launch would still happen. They just told me that that's, that's not going to be the case. So I don't know how I'm going to go ride a Brutality 1000, which is another bike I would love to see compared to the Street Fighter V4. Yeah. Um, are the dealers supposed oh. to get them soon? Uh, I know dealers in Europe have been getting them. I don't know what the timeline is in the U.S. And like honestly, Shaheen, I meant to look this up because I, I had an interview with the uh, MVGOS CEO um, on Saturday, which I want to talk to you about. But I meant to look it up on where my nearest dealership was. And yeah, I don't. Like, I don't. I don't even know if I there's one in Seattle. That's the thing. Like, if there if if there is one in Seattle, that would probably be the closest one. Hold on, let's let me see if I can look it up. Um, probably can't because it's all craziness. Um, but that was the thing where it's just like, well, you know, even if you guys do have it in the dealerships, like, I'm not going to go down to California for it. I mean, yeah, no way. That's a long ass ways. Um, I don't see an easy way to find out where my closest dealership is, so I'm just not going to spend the time. But that's an interesting that's an interesting bike. Another one though that's super expensive. I think it's beautiful. I think it's I think that's more beautiful than the Street Fighter V4, to be honest. Having, oh, having absolutely. gotten to see I, it. I, I think looks wise it is definitely prettier. My worry with that bike is that they just literally took the super bike motor and just plopped it in there and didn't really change anything in terms of the way it makes its power. So it's gonna be just, you know, super peaky inline four engine-ness. Um, that for me, that's like, you know, everybody can kind of go in, like having like an inkling of what it's going to be like. And like, okay, I think I have this worry about it. Or like, I have this thing, like, I think it's going to be, I think this thing's going to be really awesome. Or I think this thing is going to be really weird. And you kind of go in there looking for it, which is truthfully not very scientific. Um, but that's just how humans work. And that's my worry with this bike. I'm like, oh man, I really hope this isn't just like the super bike with no fairings. Like, I hope that there's an actual mid range. Uh, I hope it is like actually, you know, good to ride below 20 miles an hour, 
things like that. <laughs> Uh, which which was not the case with like the 1098 Street Fighter, for instance. We're like, oh yeah, no, you have to ride that bike at 45 miles an hour, otherwise it's just horrible. Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of the the hope, right? As as the more modern bikes come out, they they have more modern amenities, such as being able to you know be ridden at uh, I don't know normal sane paces. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. We're obviously not doing that press launch. Don't know when I'm going to get a chance to ride the bike. I will. I will make an effort though. To, to write it somehow i i sounds like i'm not going to be racing until july holy moly is, you know less than ideal um and it sounds like i'm certainly not going to be racing on the course that that i do the best on so i'm very <laughs> i'm very upset about that but yeah you know like the whole season's kind of crazy now shaheen i don't know i don't know quite what to make of 2020 uh it's just kind of be a wash in a lot of regards yeah i mean a lot of plans have been set aside uh um you know there's a lot of sort of like adventure writing plans that I had in groups that are being put aside. And, you know, we're even talking about not doing really any camping for a little while. Um, so I don't know. I'm curious to see when things start trickling towards some form of normalcy. Um, and I think, you know, for that, I mean, for us motorcyclists, like when is it going to be a thing where we can go out and like do backcountry discovery routes or when are we going to be able to start doing track days or um, anything like that. Luckily, we're, I think, lucky enough where they're not stopping us from riding on the streets. So I don't see anybody putting the kibosh on that. Um, so long as people aren't being idiots. So at least we have that. You can still ride on the streets if you want to and go do a cool ride up to a, your favorite spot and come back. But yeah, any True. of this, any of the sort of planned organized riding, whether that's club meets or track days or racing or any of that stuff has sort of been put on pause indefinitely i would say till at least june or july i think it's going to come down to well you know here's the thing that we don't know about and we don't we don't talk about is that that second wave if there's a second wave of this especially in like the winter or whatnot i mean maybe it's good because it'll be in the the winter we're not gonna be riding a lot anyways right but you know that could that could lead to another stay at home, shelter in place, you know, lockdown type of thing. Cause that's really what would do it would be some sort of health crisis, you know, emergency where people cannot leave their homes. As long as we're still allowed to leave our homes and it's just kind of frowned upon, you know, people are going to be able to go do street rides. And as long as, you know, I think we're reasonable about how we open back up the economy and open up, you know, our, our day-to-day lives again. Cause like, like they're talking a lot about like like racing is one of the ones that comes to my mind because you know I've been involved in those conversations a little bit, and it's like okay, we're probably not going to have spectators for the rest of the year. Um, you know, it's going to change. Like maybe our pits are spaced more more apart. Maybe you know we limit the number of entries. You know, it's going to be there's going to have to be some finagling to change how we how we do it. And I don't know how much of an impact that's going to be, which will be interesting to see. Um, but the bigger one. Um, I know this is an issue for, for our club here in Portland, but I, I've heard it from other clubs as well. It's just, what is the impact on the economy going to be in terms of like motorcycles are expensive. Racing's expensive. Right. Uh, a lot of people are unemployed. You know, we have almost a 20% unemployment rate in, in America now. I forget. I haven't seen the exact figures, but it's approaching that pretty quickly. Um, you know, the people who aren't unemployed, but are getting furloughed, or you know, getting their mandatory vacation days and all that stuff, or maybe pay freezes. 
you know, that's going to have an effect on, on whether or not, you know, people can go race or people can go buy new bikes or people are going to oh, like, Oh yeah, I was saving up to get that, you know, $5,000 Panigale V4 exhaust. But now, you know, like I've got to pay all this other stuff because I lost my job and, and right. blah, 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 blah. Like I'm actually in the hole, like 5,000. I don't have that saved 5,000 anymore. I'd be I'm curious really, to see what the dealership numbers look like right now. Cause I've, I've talked to a couple of dealerships. Well, so it's interesting you say that, but, but a couple of dealerships are claiming, and I think they're just claiming so that people don't think they're they're dying out, but they're claiming to be in line with last year. I think some dealerships can get away with it, and I think some dealerships might be able to shuffle the numbers. Like I heard a, an anecdotal kind of thing about scooter dealerships in New York, especially before things got really bad in New York, right? Where it was, um, people were still going to work, but you know, so there wasn't a shelter in place order yet, but scooter sales shot through the roof because, you know, New York is one of the few cities where, you know, a homeless person and a, you know, over and over and over again, millionaire will share the same subway car. You know, like the subway is the common denominator for everyone in New York because it is just the best way to get around. And yeah. if there isn't too much of like, I mean, some people have drivers in New York, um, or you, or you take taxis, but you know it's not uncommon to see all classes and all walks of life on a subway. That's one of the things that makes New York and riding the subway in New York so unique. But it was one of those things where like, okay, so we've got a pathogen that we're worrying about, and people are starting to look at it and be like, yeah, the last place I want to be is on the subway, you know, crammed asses to elbows with everybody else. Like, I got to find a cheap solution. I'm going to go buy a scooter. I can buy a $3,000 scooter and scoot my ass up and down, you know, uptown to downtown. Right. Um, so that was like interesting to, to see, but you know, like I would be really suspicious of any dealership saying like they're hitting numbers from last year or, or doing better unless they had like really bad 2019s just because they just sit there and like the uncertainty level of it. There, there is no one in, in any class of, you know, economic divide right now that doesn't have uncertainty about what's going on. You know, I have I have literally talked to billionaires during this crisis, and I've talked to millionaires, and I've talked to middle class families and low income families. That is the common denominator. Everyone is uncertain. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. And when you have uncertainty in a market, you don't have spending. No one's going to be like, "Hey, I have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring me, so I'm going to go below ten thousand dollars on a motorcycle." I mean, maybe like in an apocalypse sort of way, where like I have got three days left to live, I'm going to go buy that V4. <laughs> but no one's uh, going like, "Man, it. like." Yeah, because no one who's like, you know, I think my job's secure, but like, you know, my company did just lay off like, you know, 10 people. And if there's another round of that, maybe, maybe I get involved with it. Right. Like, no one goes out and makes major purchases when they don't know what the future is holding for them. And a motorcycle is definitely one of those purchases that's like, like, why would you do it? Um, like, I totally wouldn't, I, I totally would understand if numbers are down. I, I think numbers are going to be down significantly this year. I think motorcycle sales are going to be down double digits. And I'm not talking like in the teens, I'm talking 20, 25%. That's my prediction. I, I think that's fair. I think, I think that this, this at the very least is going to change the structure of a lot of dealerships too. Things are going to, Things are gonna have to be done a little bit differently for every part of life, and the you know motorcycling, and and the dealership uh, model is gonna be no exception to this rule. Eh, it's funny you say that. Like I was just having a conversation with uh, a friend of, of of ours 
about the dealership model and how ripe it is for disruption. And I do think there's an opportunity with the coronavirus outbreak to see some disruption happening. I don't know if it's going to occur because, again, it's like that uh, uncertainty creates people are very uh they're not nearly as bold as they usually are when there's a lot of uncertainty right but there is that opportunity it's like hey you know this is not a bad time to rethink what you're doing um i know from my own personal business i'm doing a bunch of things that like i probably wouldn't have been doing last year because i just didn't like hey this is an interesting time this is a time to to try some different things um if i don't try things now there's a chance that you know down the line i'll, I'll regret it um and I think that's that's the deciding factor between like a lot of businesses. Um, truthfully, I think that's how Vault and Rubber got its start. It was I was able to start a digital publication during a time when the print publications were unwilling to do that because of disruption or whatever. They were they were too set in their ways. And now I think is another one of those moments in time for a lot of businesses. It's just who's going to be able to take that risk. I mean, we've always talked about how it's, it's you know, the dealership models at least 10 years behind everything, right? And the motorcycling side, we, we've, we've talked about ad nauseum about what's old, what's not working, what's wrong. And so I agree with you. I think this is the time is ripe to change things around. Is it going to be the same for every dealer? No, there's, you know, some of them are a little ahead of the curve. Some of them are way behind the curve. We're probably going to lose. I, I I don't know what the number would be that we're going to lose, but I bet a fair number of dealers are going to be out of business um, if they're not doing things right. I mean, we're seeing this in the in the restaurant industry and in the service industry, and motorcycling is in America has never been looked at as a truly uh, big necessity, except for when there's a gas crisis. Except right now, gas is super cheap, so it's really not a crisis. <laughs> I uh, want to talk to you about that. Yeah, right. So I think if you're looking to survive you know, desperation oftentimes makes for really good, ingenious, you know, moments, right? Where you suddenly are like, okay, I got to change things around. And, and, and that's sort of reactive, not proactive, but that's the thing we've always complained about that all these dealerships and everyone who's working and you and managing them are typically reactive to how the market is. Well, so here's your chance, right? You have to be reactionary to what's happening right now. I don't necessarily have the answer right now sitting right here, but I bet if I sat down and thought about it for about an hour or so, I'd probably come up with a couple of different ideas of what could be changed and what can make things a little bit easier for you. I know the local dealership that you and I go to has now become a, you know, uh, by appointment only. Their service department still busy as can be, but the sales department has slowed down a little bit, but not enough. But that's not the only parts of a dealership right now. You've got apparel that's going to be hurting because you can't necessarily let everybody try on the helmets and the gloves and all that stuff. Right. So how, how do you start mar uh, competing against the Revzillas as a dealership when it comes to that, where you were already kind of hurting on that, on that aspect. So I think, I think the dealerships are going to really, really have to sit down and think about what is it they're going to do differently? How are they going to approach things differently? Um, people are, Seemingly, at least in this household, we've realized that there is a, uh, a, a, I'm trying to think of how to word this. We're, we're taking advantage of a thing that we can, such as like grocery deliveries, because my wife is uncomfortable with going to a grocery store right now, right? So I'm thinking buyers are maybe thinking in, that, in those terms when it comes to going to a motorcycle dealers from buying parts and being face-to-face -face with people and maybe, this, you know, putting themselves at, at risk. So does that mean a dealership can now start delivering things? 
can we start doing it where you want to buy parts? You can have it delivered to you or sent to you. Some people already do that. They're they're sending stuff via mail, but there's not an immediacy to it. And that's really sort of what the motorcycling people want, right? If you want a part and you know it's available, you want to have it in your hand so you can do the thing that you were thinking about doing, not wait three, four days. That's always been the draw of buying at a dealership versus buying online and not having to wait for it and maybe paying a two, three percent premium just to have the you know immediate reaction from there. So I don't know. I don't know if they're if people are thinking, uh, if they're wondering what's next, are they just simply sitting back and throttling down a little bit and furloughing some employees, which we've seen a lot of dealers do, and just hoping that this will pass and that the local state governors or whoever are gonna give a green light to businesses to go back to things as usual. Um, I have a feeling a lot of dealers are doing that right now. And, and I have a feeling there's a handful that are sort of proactively having this conversation that you and I are having and saying, what's next? How do we, how do we survive if there is another wave of this? How do we survive if something similar happens again? Because this is all sort of new grounds for us. It's funny when you talk to the OEMs about the, the recession, you know, obviously it wasn't good, but one of the things they will say that kind of was uh, a silver lining to that was it allowed them to get rid of their underperforming dealerships. The dealerships that were already kind of hurting their brands or underperforming or dragging down the the business operations, those were oftentimes the ones that went out of business. It was actually kind of good for them in the way because it, it kind of culled the herd of, of some of the dealerships they would have liked to have gotten rid of them and maybe couldn't. So. Right. I do think in a way there is going to be a little bit of this where it's like, okay, if you're a dealership that can come out the other side of this, uh, it must mean that you were doing something right. It means you were probably one of the good ones. You were capitalized well. You had your business operations running well. You didn't have too much overhead. You, uh, you had a strong sales force. You had a strong service department. You had a strong apparel department. You know, you were you were doing it right. And the ones that are going to struggle, you know, I wouldn't say this is always the case because sometimes you're just the victim of circumstance but i i do think some of the dealerships that are going to go away are going to be the ones that are like well it wasn't a great dealership you know right. we 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 could have done better than that um exactly and it is it is interesting to see you know you mentioned you know how like um you know dealerships need to pivot and change their operations a little bit because i'm seeing uh what was it i think it was two two weeks ago we might even mentioned on the last podcast Indian was just starting to do home delivery of bikes um, that you like you could buy it over the phone or uh, you basically had to buy it over the phone with the dealership and then the dealership would drop it off at your house and you take home delivery and it was kind of their way to keep the sales cycle moving forward um, you know during a time when you really couldn't be inside the dealership and it's been funny to watch other brands follow that model pretty quickly. And I just saw today that Yamaha is now going to start offering that with its dealerships. And like, is that like going to change the the game there? Is that, you know, a huge disruption? No, but it should have been something they were doing all along. And, and like the truth is like, you could always do it. You could always like call up a dealership if they had half a brain on their shoulders, could do all the paperwork, you know, over the phone online or a fax machine. Like you just have to sign a couple documents. Like you could get it done. And if they had smart customer service, they could, you know, load the bike up in a van and drop it off at your house. If you really, really wanted to, if you're kind of like a VIP roller or if that salesman really wanted to go the extra mile, it's already something they could have done. It's not like this is like a, a whole new business enterprise that they've discovered. 
But now, like, <laughs> you know, like, it's one of those things, like, it's like, oh, congratulations, you figured out how to load up a bike in a van and drop it off at someone's house. We're like, what a, you know, huge, what a huge deal. It's funny. I'm laughing, like, out of frustration, to be honest with you, because these are things that we've, you know, I've been sort of screaming about whenever I've been in the dealer network. And that the things you're talking about are always looked at as, like, extra services. Like, we'll right. bring the bike to you. Like, whoop-de-fucking-do, man. That should be something that's been going on for a long time. And so, I wonder, do you think... And this is the question I asked my poor wife who could care less about this industry. But um, <laughs> do, do you think that this might be the thing that, that uh, use the perfect word for it, pivots? Do you think this is the thing that's going to pivot the dealership network on car, motorcycle, truck, on anything to start online sales? Because this is the thing that's been missing. I can buy anything. I can buy almost anything online at this point except for a registered vehicle. Even though everything <laughs> that you can do to register it is pretty much widely available online. So, you know, if if I, as a modern buyer, don't want to go into a dealership and deal with the smarmy used car guy or girl, then I can just go online and be like, ooh, there is that Ford Mustang that I've always wanted. It's got the right amount of miles and it's the right color and it seems to have everything I need on there. And I can buy it and the warranty or whatever I want for it online. And then the thing just shows up. And I've skipped the part where I'm having a heartache and headache of going to a dealership and dealing with these people. Now, on the motorcycle side, we're very different than cars in that the dealership can have kind of a clubhouse feeling to it. So it's kind of fun to go there and you want to go there. But that doesn't mean that you can't get with times and offer these things online right now via phone or or email or text or whatever. It's already there, as you put it. It's nothing new. But is this the thing that's going to pivot the entire industry to change suddenly? You know, that's a no. No is no is my answer. <laughs> but with a caveat, I, I, I with agree. a caveat. <laughs> uh, I mean, what I like about it is that this situation is forcing dealerships to think about this. It's forcing manufacturers to think about this. And we're seeing Indian and Slingshot and Yamaha. And I think there's another one. I'm it's too bad that I'm blinking on the name because they should get credit for it. Um, but I like that they're sitting there going like, hey, like this is this is a way that we can adapt a little bit more to the times. Now, I haven't had a chance to sit down and look at Yamaha's system, but the ones coming from Polaris brands, um, it's, I mean, I'm going to give them like a B minus on it because it's not really buying online. It's its not that different from really how uh, like Kawasaki and Zero did their relationships with Costco. Right. Like, hey, like here's the bike. It's in the warehouse. You can look at it. You can't buy it. Like you can't just like go up to the cashier with like the little, you know, piece of paper that says you want to buy a Kawasaki Ninja and they, you know, like wheel one out from behind the the desk or whatever. Here's your brand new superbike. It's right. like no no no. Like you got you take that thing, you you it's like a voucher and you take it down to the dealership and it's a set price and there's no negotiation. They just do the paperwork and you're like you walk out of that dealership with your bike. Like it's just lead generation. Right. This is really the same thing. Like I looked at Indians and it's like literally you, you just go on their website and it's like, hey, I wanna I wanna buy a scout. And they're like, Cool. You live in Portland. Here's your dealership. Here's their yeah. phone number. Yeah, that's every uh, I mean every every um I was gonna say dealer, every every manufacturer essentially has something like this, right? It's uh, you, yeah. you named it perfectly. It's just lead generation. I mean, even on the Ducati side, if you went into some like bike show and wanted interest in a uh, on a model and some you know model came a, a, a supermodel type person walked up to him and was like hey can i get your information so we can maybe give away a free hat that's just getting leads and they're giving that to the local dealer and it's still up to the dealership to make the phone call the sales guy hopefully does their job and you know does their follow-up 
Um, the problem with lead generation is that nine out of 10 times, you're just getting a dud. It's just somebody that was there and they gave the email address, the phone number, just to shut the person up who was asking them questions. Even if they're online looking for something, I can't tell you how, how many times we would get like, quote unquote, lead generation emails. And you would read it and be like, that's not for me at all. That's for like a Honda dealership. And I'm working at Ducati. Why are they emailing me about this thing? So yeah. there's a lot of sifting and stuff like that that comes along with it. But it's like, I just think at some point we're going to have to move forward with this with this old antiquated way of buying vehicles. And I was kind of, I guess, hoping that this was the thing that would make all the dealership groups go, hey, we've lost 40, 50, 60% of our sales. Never mind because of people not having jobs, but people are just scared to come out and like, you know, be face to face. So how do we fix this? You know, and because before this, this whole pandemic, pandemic happened, the thing everybody was like saying, the, the, the trigger word was millennials. Ah, millennials don't buy the same way the old people used to. Okay, that's fair. So they don't. How do you fix that? How do you, how do you tailor your business to better serve that group that is now buying from you? So I, I have, I have hopes. I have doubts, but I have hopes. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's the thing that like frustrates me with this this process because it is it is just lead generation. It is just like put your email into this box and someone will contact you and. And some of the more savvy brands, like they'll let you configure the bike pretty extensively. Like, okay, I want to get a BMW S1000RR, but I want it with the M package, but I want right. it in blue, and I want this thing, and I want these accessories, and like it'll do the whole list for you. And then like you click, you know, send to my dealer, and like that dealer at least goes like, oh yeah, Jensen wants you know the M package livery, he wants the carbon fiber wheels, he wants the you know the fuel cap thing that we've got and the little valve stems that have the M logo on them and he wants a t-shirt. Okay, cool. $30,000. Here you go. Um, but what's frustrating for me is like, okay, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good system. And that was the thing that was actually really disappointing to see Indians where it's like, I can't even configure the bikes. Like I it literally just was like, I'd like to buy a motorcycle click. It's like, well, that's not really home delivery. I mean like that the dealership will go out of their way to, you know, then call you and do the paperwork and deliver the bike. Like that's great. But Nothing revolutionary here. Um, the the thing I just mentioned with BMW, I feel is like the next step up, and I give that kind of like a B. But like what you're talking about, and what I want to see, when I I sit here and wonder like why is no one implementing it, and I kind of know the answer. But what I want to see is like okay, I want to buy bike X. I go to the website, I configure it, I click buy. The next screen I should go to shouldn't be a, okay, contact your dealer at such and such address or such and such phone number. It should be, okay, enter in your driver's license, scan your driver's license in for me, or give me your information on that. Let's, let's apply for your loan now to make sure you're financed. Um, let's, you know, let's, let's take it to the next level of what, you know, the, the process is on buying that vehicle. Yeah. So I think, I think that's a pretty smart way of going forward with it. This would require right off the top of my head, at least three entities to work well together, you know, so the dealer, the bank, and then the DMV side of things. Cause that's, yeah. it's, a, it's a three-way handshake, right? Anytime you want to buy a vehicle, you have to register it. If it's, if it's got a loan against it, then the bank has to know that you, or the DMV has to know that you got a loan and a lien against it, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't mean that they can't make all that work together. Uh, the technology is there. This is nothing new. This is something that's been going on for 
years and years and years. People have been buying houses by doing online signatures for a long ass time. It's just I, on the I bought mo- my house with an on, with a with a digital signature. I was on a motorcycle ride in the middle of Eastern Oregon. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> at a cafe on my phone, you know, signing documents with my thumb. So. So, I mean, that proves that it's there, right? And and that, and that's such a bigger, scarier decision to make, uh, you know, or a purchase to make. So, that's all there. But, like, on the motorcycle side, if you if you right now go to a motorcycle dealership and you want to do all the paperwork, all the DMV paperwork still has to be printed on, I'm not fucking kidding with you, a dot matrix printer. Like, I totally believe it. Totally it, believe it. It's crazy that's to I me. Said, these- like, I think I know why dealerships can't do this. It's It's because of the hurdles with DMV. Well, yes and no, because on the car side, there's plenty that are doing it just digitally now. You don't ever have to use one of those stupid printers. Everything's just done and it goes to the DMV. If you have to do two, three triplicates of the copy, you just hit print times three, done. But for whatever reason, we're still using these like these carbon copy bullshit documents that need to be punched on by a dot matrix printer to to make a print you know a, a, an impression on the other page that shit is like half a step away from being uh, you know <laughs> gone altogether and and I really really hope that if not this then something like this is going to make the entire system go you know what just reboot the whole thing let's start not from the beginning, but from like current status of who is the most modern version of doing this. If it's real estate, let's look at that. If it's automotive, let's look at that. Or ultimately, and I think it, it is automotive, it should be easy enough to say car, motorcycle, registered, registered. Does it go to the DMV? Yes, yes. Okay, cool. Everything gets the exact same paperwork. I don't know why it has to be like antiquated on the motorcycle side, but modern on the car side where they have, you know, like a touchscreen. Because I know on the car side, you know, I'd heard basically one of the things was to make the buyer uh, have more control. It, it's easier to make a, a tough decision when you know you have full control of it. And that means like being the one that touches the screen and saying yes and no to things. It's not a a salesperson or a finance manager pointing with their pen saying, sign here, trust me, sign here. You as the buyer are looking at it, touching it and going, hey, this is the thing I'm doing. So it's a little bit of a mental game, but because of that, the technology exists. Somebody put it together. And so I feel like on the motorcycle side, this is the next step. And um, going back to the start of this conversation, is it going to be because of this pandemic that it changes? Maybe because people are buying things differently. People are not as comfortable necessarily leaving their homes, even if they have the means to do it. Not everybody's furloughed. Not everybody has lost their job. And, and you can see that clearly in some uh, sort of upper market dealers like Ducati or MV Augusta. Um, I know we're going to talk about your conversation with MV Augusta, but one of the questions that I had in my head, which I never asked was, Hey, as a small company, I think you have the luxury of doing whatever the fuck it is you want to do and kind of setting the trend the way you want to have it uh, uh, done. Do you think that it would be smarter of you to kind of say, we're going to have X number of warehouses across, let's say America, United States. And if Jensen wants to buy that new dragster, then he just goes on our website, puts it together, and then we basically just sell it to him through our nearest uh, warehouse that's to him. That takes away the ability to be able to test ride the thing. But I'm thinking like having been in the on the retail side of this thing, test rides used to just be a thing that dealerships would laugh about. If you came into a Honda dealership, be like, yo, can I test ride the CBR 1000 RR? I'd be like, no, nah, you can't. 
well, how do I know if I want to buy it? You just do. <laughs> and it was kind of weird. I would look at it and like scratch my head like, nah, I guess that'd be weird as a buyer, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I really wonder if. I think that's a great example, though. That's a great that's a great kind of point, though, Shaheen, because back when dealers were doing that, it was also the heyday of selling motorcycles. You know, it was 2004, it was 2005. It's like, right. You couldn't, you couldn't bat away sales quick enough because it was just credit was, was easy. Money was cheap. People wanted to buy bikes. We were coming out with new super bikes every two years. So it's like, Oh yeah, this is the new one. Yeah, of course you want it. Are you going to buy the old one? You're not gonna buy the old one. You're gonna buy the new one. Trust me. Like, (laughs) like I guarantee you, like this is the one you want to buy. And if you don't want to buy it because, uh, you know, you don't want to, you can't ride it. I've got three other guys that will buy it from me. And, you know, all those guys were all skippy, you know, new super bike, new, new rider people anyway. So it's like, yeah, 100%, you know, if I have four guys go ride it, one of them's going to crash it and I'm out of demo bike. Exactly. Because you guys are all brand new, you know, skippy riders. <laughs> so I don't want to risk it. And I know like if that turns off one of you, the other three guys are still going to buy it anyways, because that's where we're at. Right. And I feel I feel like a I feel like a brand like Envy Gusta could probably do something like what I was suggesting, only because they're sort of a self-proclaimed brand that's selling you an art and an emotion and like, you know, an experience of ownership of that that specific thing. And so I wonder if that's something they could do. I wonder if that would be helpful for their unique niche uh, uh piece of the market. I know it was something they were talking about when Giovanni was still in charge of the company and he was looking at kind of new ways of of doing the dealership model. My impression from, from Timur is that um, he's got bigger fish to fry and, and, you know, disrupting the dealership model isn't really one of them. Um, Especially when you kind of like talk to, you know, he talked about, you know, we'll get into the show, but you know, he talked about kind of like the, the lower end models that were going to come out of MV Augusta. And like, those don't really lend themselves as easily to that. Like, let's say Ferrari dealership experience where it's like a VIP experience customer. Like, Oh, well we're going to go out to lunch first and I'm going to tell you like the history of Ducati. (laughs) And then I'm going to get three glasses of wine in you at lunch. And then we're going to bring you back to the dealership. And my super cute assistant's going to walk you through all the different, you know, ways you can customize this car and add like another hundred thousand dollars to the price tag. And the entire time we're going to keep, you know, plying you with mimosas and bottles of wine and then we're going to go for a test ride because you're going to be way too drunk to drive this car so i'm going to probably drive it for you anyways because i'm a right. semi-professional <laughs> driver and i'm going to scare the shit out of you and you're going to be like wow this car is amazing and then you're going to like plunk over your like you know 401k and walk out the door for ferrari you know in like six months or whatever it is that you know the, the time it takes you know like I don't know if that's that's envy Augustus. Well, it, it certainly could be, but I, my impression of where they're taking the the line, um, that isn't really the case. But I do think that the recession that I mean, we're going to have a recession, you know, because of this. The recession that is to come. Technically, we're already in it. If you talk to some economists, right? Um, you know, the defin the definition of it is we're we're there. Uh, I don't think we've really felt it yet, but we're don't we're going to don't don't. <laughs> don't mince words on it that might help jumpstart this idea i think if you want to reach millennials if you want to get into the 21st century of selling things you need to understand that people buy things online and you need to make the buying process if not completely online at least a heck of a lot easier i'm not saying like you should be able to buy a, a motorcycle on amazon 
but pretty close to it. Like what the, the hurdles that you have to go through now are so like 1950s that you just sit there. Like you said, dot matrix printer where it's like, really? Like there's every now and then I get an OEM that's like, can you just fax us that document? I'm like, fax you. What, what makes you think I have a fax machine? (laughs) Do you not have email? Do you not have a scanner? Like, how can you not just send me this like document in an editable PDF where I can sign on it? Like what fax machine, but it happens. It happens. Yep, it sure is still there. God, the, the sound of that dot matrix printer is just like embedded oh my in my head. I know that noise. <laughs> it used to give me nightmares. <laughs> it's so distinct. It's so distinct. Oh, man. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it changes. I think it has to change at the OEM level, and I think that's part of the issue. Because no dealership is going to take it on themselves to create these systems and to like haggle with the dmv and, and do it and none of them have that kind of savvy or, or even have right. like, those kind of resources to them and like the dealership or sorry the oems are sitting there going to like well what do we care like you have to remember at the end of the day the oems business is selling to the dealers they really don't care if customers buy their bikes they only care about that customers buy their bikes because the more customers buy the bikes the more dealers will buy bikes from them right right sort and of like the rolling like the, effect of it yeah, that's kind of like the disconnect of of having dealerships that aren't owned by OEMs, which I feel like is a whole another conversation we could have, and maybe we save it for a later date. But it's like like Yamaha Motor USA. Their business isn't selling you and I a bike; it's selling Yamaha dealers around the world, uh, America bikes. So it's like they don't need to deal with the DMV with all that bullshit. I mean, they do have a, they have to deal with the DMV on a certain level in a different way, but they don't have to deal with it in this sort of like customer paperwork bullshit sort of way. They just like, Oh, did the dealership buy 10 bikes from us this month? Cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. We're fine. Yeah. I don't really right. care if it's a total nightmare to sign them up with DMV because we sold our 10 bikes to that dealership next, next, next transaction, next deal. Um, but they're going to have to get involved because, the dealerships need to change the way they sell things and they can't do it themselves. So it's going to have to be the OEMs that help them along that way, or it's going to have to be some sort of third party that comes in and they're going to wedge themselves as another middleman in the industry. And that's really the last thing we need, but you know, it's kind of like a, a do or die situation for, for the OEMs on that because they're going to lose that space. I'm almost thinking of like a dealer model where all you have in your shop are, you know, a handful of demo bikes that are current model year, and then everything else is just sitting in crates in a warehouse somewhere, right? And all you have at that dealership is um, like a coffee shop, a cool hangout place, and a you know a spot where you can come and demo the thing if you ever want to. And then once that shit's said and done, you just go home and you do everything online. You never have to do the rest of it. But that would require there to be sort of instead of a suggested retail price, just per- a retail price. Period. Like yeah, all right. We're talking twenty three nine ninety five for a Street Fighter V four S. End of story. You can't go up and down on there. That it, it is what it is, right? And so, you know, that that would require a buyer to kind of say, okay, I'm just going to buy the asking price for the thing, as if I was going to Target and buying, you know, a a, a spreadsheet or some other sheet for my bed. You don't haggle on that price. You just do it. I, I realize <laughs> the difference in value is vastly different, but. It's a it's a pretty complicated thing, and I think I agree. I don't think it's ever going to be the manufacturer who's going to do the thing. It's going to be based on uh, the dealership network that's going to do it, and it's going to require a little bit of help from the manufacturer, as they do now anyways. I mean, the dealers always look for some sort of help, wh- whether it's with marketing or whatever, from the manufacturer's side. And 
Um, and they get that from their regional sales managers and whatnot. But um, I would love to see if a dealership is in the works or is already doing something like that where it's more modernized, where you as the buyer just kind of do everything uh, remotely if you so choose to do it. And it's not considered as like an extra super special wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You have to know the secret menu thing. Yeah, I think I think you touched on like five things that that are like infuriating about buying motor vehicles. We're like, I I love to haggle. I was born to haggle. It's one of my. I I wish every day I could buy a car just so I could have that experience because I'm a masochist like that. But for a lot of people, <laughs> for a lot of people, that's like that's one of the, like the least favorite things in the world. Like there there are surveys out there like things you want to do like go to the dentist, buy a new car. Like I remember when I bought my Forerunner the financing guy on that almost scuttled the deal because my salesman was a totally reasonable human being. He was a good salesman, very really patient. Right. Let me drive a couple cars, figure out which, which model and trim I wanted, you know, like, yeah, we kind of had to haggle on the price, but it wasn't too bad. Cause like, I was just like, listen, like if you think I'm going to pay more, like I just have bad news for you. Like I just don't have that, <laughs> that money. So you're either <laughs> selling me a car today or you're not, <laughs> it's up to you. But I remember going in and talking to the finance guy at the end of it and he was like the swarmiest, dirtiest, like every dirty trick in the book. Like he tried to attack on like another $10,000 to the car. And I'm like, what are you doing right now? Wait, like, are you up? intentionally, <laughs> like are you intentionally trying to piss me off? Like, like I'm about to leave just because I'm pissed off at you. Not that necessarily like this is a bad transaction. Like it was a bad transaction. We had to argue about it, but it's like it made the ex buying experience so bad. Like I've never been to that dealership since. I'll never buy a car from them again. I was just right. like, man, like what a pain in the ass that was. Like I can see why people don't want to do it. And that was clearly just like a that person's sales tactics, or maybe that's the way that dealership is set up. Like the 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 salesman is the good cop, the finance guy is the bad cop, or whatever. Oh yeah, that, that's that's a weird dynamic that they used to do back in the day. I, yeah. I feel like a lot of dealers are changing that because they have to be transparent. Buyers are smarter, and there's a lot more um, on your fingertips just in the name of Google, right? You can look things up, right? Well, that's um, the thing where I sit there, like like the last thing, like we live in a world where like people just don't want to deal with that bullshit buying a car. No. Like I remember, it took me twelve hours to buy that car. I Jesus, people don't have that kind of time so anymore. No. Right. And and like eight hours of that was dealing with the finance guy. And I remember walking out of there at one point and telling the salesman, like, hey, like you gotta go talk to your guy because I'm about to leave because this is stupid. <laughs> like what he's saying is stupid. Um like he's literally one of those like, so well, well this car's got an undercoating on it, so we're gonna have to charge you extra for that. And you're like, wait, what? And then you have to like buy the extended warranty. Like it's like all the craziness. Like, yeah. I, I mean, nowhere nowhere else do you buy something where you have that level of of chicanery let's say <laughs> shenanigans <laughs> shenanigans yeah there's other shenanigans and like and that's one of the things like you see um tesla is like that now the price is the price there's a couple other car right. brands where it's like the price is the price we don't go up we don't go down nope and you it's don't accepted. need to go the you don't need to go shop it. around different dealerships because they're all going to sell you the same exact price and like that's kind of nice. Like knowing what the thing costs like i don't have to go in there and like spend like hours of my day like haggling over like a hundred bucks no, and I think I think if you present it as such, then it'll be accepted as such. But if you present it as, oh yeah, you can walk in here and fight your way through this whole thing because that's how it is. It's a fucking sparring match every time you want to buy something. Then you've you've created that environment for it. So Tesla is a great example of what is working right now in that specific market for that idea that we have. Yeah, it's interesting. I I really hope there's a lot of disruption in this space. I don't know what brands are going to stick their neck out and do it. 
Um, you know, one of the, like, it's hard too. like, like, I don't think any of the startup brands, not that we really have any anymore are going right. to do it because they've kind of like learned less. Like it's hard enough starting a motorcycle company and then to like come along and say like, Hey, I'm going to disrupt the, the dealership model on top of it. Um, I'm, it's a catch 22. The whole thing's a catch 22. So it, yeah, it, it'll I, be interesting to see Shaheen. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, the, the old school part of me that, that sort of enjoys the dealership experience and the motorcycle side says, or hopes that it's the dealerships that are going to have individual control over how to do it. Maybe it takes one really savvy dealership to kind of create a program and say, Hey, this is working for me. And they go to one of these dealer 20 meetings and they present it to the rest of the dealers and go, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is the most modern way of doing things. And it's working for us. Our buyers enjoy it. And there's less heartache when it comes to buying stuff. Cause yeah, there are people like you and I that like love to buy. Like I, I love the experience of it. Anne hates it. The last couple of cars we've bought, I go in there and do all the heavy lifting. But I've been in the industry long enough to know the bullshit when I see it, good things when I see it, and you know recognize it and go for that one. So I kind of, you know, my car buying experience is no more than two hours long. I'm, I, and the longest period of that is just me finding the right car, basically. But um, it's, I mean, we can say it till we turn turn flu, uh, blue in the face. It, it's an antiquated way of buying. It's pretty much the last of its kind. You know, and it's and it's really only applied to buying registered vehicles, and so you know that's all going to change. Especially like like I wonder if Harley's going to be the one that changes this thing because they're the ones that are yeah. actively working on e vehicles. Harley Harley is uh, that's an interesting one. I, I think that's the only brand I would really expect to try it because they will try, they will literally try anything right now if it thinks it will save them. Uh, they're so they're so damn desperate that. Uh, you know, I could see it happening. Um, but on the other side of it, like Harley Davidson dealerships are, are so different than other dealerships in a lot of ways, just because it's kind of like this cult that you have to like enter the doors of. <laughs> yeah. But you so know, the know. thing is there it, like a cult. If the leader tells you to jump, people start jumping. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Shaheen, I'm looking at the clock. We're running out of time. So there's one last thing I want to talk to you about, and it was what I did on my Saturday. And, and you joined me, and you joined me as well. Um, we did a little live chat on YouTube with the yeah. CEO of MV Augustus. So Timur uh, Sardarov joined me uh, for a little, um, I wanted to call it like a fireside chat. I think actually he was near his fireplace in his living room. <laughs> looked, I was down in my office that has zero fireplaces. Yeah, he was just chilling. Um, but it was cool because we got to do it live. So there was people in the comment section that could that could comment and ask questions. And I obviously had some questions of my own. And I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to toot my horn or anything. But I thought, you know, it was actually a pretty interesting conversation. I think he was very open and insightful on on his plans for the brand. I enjoyed it. I, I thought the the you know, the whole format of it was pretty awesome from how it looked on YouTube and, you know, the, the listeners and viewers were able to ask their questions. You were on point and he was, he was pretty sharp. He was a definitely not a no dummy. That guy, you, I don't think you can be a dummy to be a CEO of a major brand like that, but, um, I liked it a lot. I actually hope you do a lot more of these and it, it sort of made me chuckle at the idea of like, hey, maybe you and I can do like one of these things as you and I for rap talk. Hmm? Yeah. So so a couple things to announce. One you already know about, one you don't. Ooh, okay. Um, so on Wednesday, I'm going to try and get this, this show out like 
right after we're off of it. So we'll have like okay. one or two days to promote this. Sorry in advance for everyone that we're not giving like a week or so, but <laughs> we literally thought we're about gonna it repeat last it, night. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, we're going to make this a weekly thing, but we're going to do Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, just like a, a little social hour, just like a little post work. Bring your beverage. Shaheen yeah. and I will be uh, chatting live on video on YouTube and we'll have a comment section and maybe we can phone phone some friends and have them join us. Uh, if, I don't if, if you got to smoke what, them, man. Yeah, like I, I look at it as like, okay, you, we've all finished the day. Uh, five o'clock West Coast, uh, eight o'clock East Coast. Like we're all kind of like done with our day. We're winding it down a little bit. Let's just crack one open with some friends, talk about some bikes, talk about some other things and, and just relax. Um, I don't have like a, a, a set format. I'm not really sure how it's going to go. It might be a total disaster. Who knows? Uh, you uh, be Jensen. I'll be Timor. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. Uh, it won't, it won't. That's an inside joke for those that don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Shaheen was very, was very helpful in helping me set up this, this live chat thing with, with Timor and um, on the technical side, total nightmare, total nightmare, <laughs> but we figured it out. And he got to play team work, for made the dream work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're going to, cont- I'm also going to continue doing these Saturday morning chats uh, for asphalt and rubber. And next Saturday uh, at 10 a.m. Uh, West coast time, I will be talking with Sylvain Guintoli, the world superbike champion, MotoGP test rider, cool. British superbike rider, all around cool dude. So that's uh, awesome. I didn't that know one. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've got a couple more people lined up that I'm still trying to like blackmail into coming onto my show. So we'll see. You do asphalt and rubber in between two ferns. I don't know what that means. Wait, you don't know what between two ferns is between two ferns. Is that like yeah, where the red fern grows? <laughs> no, it's Zach Gallif- Galifianakis. Uh, it's like a, oh, like ha, 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 funny show no, where he interviews that. I people. I can't do that guy. I can't oh, do dude, that. if you ever get a chance, watch the interview between him and Barack Obama in between two ferns, you'll get it. <laughs> okay <laughs> i see it in google now um <laughs> i don't understand the reference but i suspect it's funny it's fucking awesome so so for those that didn't get to join us this last saturday it was actually interesting uh, on a couple levels with Timur because he talked about the 350 cc twin uh lineup right. that's going to be coming out he talked about the 950 triple that's coming out. Yeah, I haven't. You, I had heard about you, it, but I hadn't you heard any details. That out of him. I was proud of you, yeah. man. That was some. That was some hardcore uh, investigative journalism right there. You didn't get to taste. You know, I'm sitting there like, like, hold on, <laughs> like, I already, like, I knew this bike that this motor existed. I don't think I knew that it was a triple. I think I just knew the displacement. I'm like, I'm getting out of. I'm getting some details out of you. Listen, come you on, were like, give me some details. And he had this look on his face, like, if you were here, I would punch you in the face. I would. I would kill you. Yes. <laughs> Which is an often uh, said thing at MV Augusta when they're talking about me. Um, but it it sounds very interesting because it's going to be a whole lineup, Shaheen. Uh, naked bikes, fairing bikes, and your personal favorite, an adventure bike. I know. He never said no. He just said yes. Yes. Um, but they're talking like 150 to 180 horsepower for this this motor. Like, I'm really jazzed about it. I think it could yeah, be really cool. Beefy. A 950 triple with that kind of power sounds delicious. I think, well, I mean, like what I really hope is down the line when they get ready to bring a proper superbike uh, to market, I really want to see them come out with an 1100cc three-cylinder superbike. Like you know, regulation ready, 
good to go, you know, like that would be for me, like that would be something that's really unique on the market. Like we haven't seen a, a an 1100 triple since Benelli basically. No, no, um, we haven't. Can you imagine the next Brutale being like a 220 horsepower triple? That'd be so rad. Or not a Brutale, but like, oh, I guess it technically wouldn't be in an F4. I don't know yeah, what you I call guess, it. Right? I don't know what you call it at that point. I guess it'd be an F3 1100. Um, but like, yeah, like exactly what you're saying, like a 200 and something horsepower 1100 CC triple that weighed nothing. Like that would be, that would get me excited. That would be something that'd be cool. Yeah. Like, I don't know how it's going to oh, yeah. stack up against the other bikes, but man, if that's something that different. I would and actually weird. apply to become their national sales manager. Like, can I um, please don't, go pedal? Don't this agree bike with, to everybody? with the, the super veloce. Uh, art, <laughs> yeah, it's all I want to do. He called it. I'll be the drug uh, dealer. I still I disagree with that, but um, <laughs> you know, I think the business stuff. Otherwise, like you sit there and you're like, well, I'll be curious to see what happens. It's really easy to say some things. It's really hard to do it. Um, as as I've often learned the hard way. Um, I have lots of great ideas, <laughs> but never. <laughs> I would right. say I always implement them. Uh, implement them well. But, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I'm curious to see where this brand goes. I'm very curious about this, these 350cc bikes, what Kajiva is doing. This 950 triple has got me super excited. Um, and we're going to see a lot of it at the end of the year, as he was saying, which I think is interesting. But I am excited to see what it looks like. I'm curious to see what the, what the team has cooked up from an engineering perspective. I'm curious to see what they've cooked up from a design perspective. Uh, I think the design team at, at MV Augusta is one of the strongest in the industry right now. They make they make lustworthy bikes. Oh yeah. Um, so that's what like I get excited about. Like oh, it's gonna. I bet it looks really good. I mean, they they've always made bikes that you want to just get a poster and put it on the wall and dream about. You know. And you know if they can make good on their promises for what they want to do with the U.S. dealership network and customer service and all that stuff, which is a huge, huge, huge hill to climb. That's one of those things like so easy to say you're going to do. It's so hard to actually do it. Um, you know, it could, it, it could bode well. Like I think they're going to have to lose money in the U S for a while before they can start making money here because they're going to have to do a lot of uh, repair work on the brand and, and the dealership experience. But I think it could pay off in, in dividends in the long run. I think so too. And that's, I think that's why I was saying, you know, I feel like they're in such a unique position to be able to, change things around altogether. It's like, well, you, you're already at the bottom of the fucking you know, barrel. Just just do something totally different. <laughs> it can't get worse. Right. It, it's already there. Now all you can do is go up from here. So it's up to you how you want to do it. Do you want to do the same old, same old bullshit? Or do you want to do something totally different and mind-blowing where your buyer base, that's already a pretty small buyer base, can feel extra special about how they bought the bike and how it came to them and you know what the process was. And it's just as special as anything else. Uh, I mean, probably not Ferrari level, but again, we're talking motorcycles. So twenty, thirty thousand dollars motorcycle level. Yeah, yeah. I think last count, like MV has forty dealerships in the U.S. or something like that. That's more than I thought it would maybe be. They, <laughs> and, and yeah, and maybe they've lost a couple since then. And like, and that's like, well, what's a dealership? Because I know of a couple. You know, I'm doing the quote, the quote fingers in the air that you uh-huh. can't see dealerships. And like, you go and you go to their 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 place of business and there's no MVs on the floor. There's no marketing material. And they're like, Oh yeah. Like if you want one, I guess we could get you one. We're, we're like, we're set up for it, but yeah, we really only sell like lawnmowers. <laughs> they forgot they carry MVs. Like, Oh yeah, that brand. Oh shit. Hold on. Let me get Johnny. He knows about them. Yeah. Even our local, but of course I think is 
was like a, a MV dealer up until recently, you know, on paper. Yeah, if you Google like, MV oh. dealer in Portland, they still come up even though they haven't carried them yeah. for years. Like 10 years or whatever it is, yeah. Um, so I don't know how many of those 45 are like really true blue, like we're moving units kind of dealerships, but um, it's 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 a great brand. It's They, they make beautiful machines. I want them to do well. It was interesting to talk to Timur and see his his vision for the company. Um, he's got some, some good ideas and it will just have to see if he can, if he can make good on them and, and make them actionable. Right. And, um, you know, see where they go from here because, you know, I think there's an opportunity. Shaheen. Like we talked about that with, with the coronavirus and the recession that's coming. There's, there's opportunities being created and it's up to people like him with their businesses to decide if they're going to capitalize them on, on them or not. I agree. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, Shaheen, I think that's going to do us for this edition of the Brap Talk podcast. Before we let the listeners go, I do want to give a shout out and say, please follow us on social media. Yeah. We are at we Brap Talk on Twitter, uh, Brap Talk on Instagram, which Shaheen curates wonderfully. Uh, yeah, we get some pretty good uh, engagement with our listeners on there. I actually enjoy it a lot. Yeah, yeah. If you really want to have a conversation with Shaheen, that's probably the best way to get all <laughs> of really them. It really is. That's, <laughs> that's 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 what he does. That's that's what he's bringing. Just to my the thing. Table. I like it a lot. It's you know I I enjoy it's it. Before thang. I go to bed, I look at it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Every now and then I'll sneak in. Every now and I'll sneak in and, and like reply to a message. But I, I let you do that. I got other things. To I, do. I enjoy I enjoy seeing you when you when you snuck in because I look at him <laughs> like wow, there's no new messages. Oh, look at the sneaky guy. Oh. Someone got on there at 3 a.m. because nice. he was wide awake. Somebody ah. wasn't able to sleep. They were petting Coda Kitty like <laughs> Dr. Evil and Mr. Bigglesworth while looking at their Instagram. Yeah, yeah, true. Very true, actually. Uh, follow us on Facebook as well. Do a search for the Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast. Whatever podcasting platform you listen to, if it has an ability to rate us or leave a comment, please do so. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Give us your love. And with that, Shaheen, we say... I say safety third. Wash your damn hands. <laughs> Wash your damn hands. All right. Good talk, buddy. I'll see you out there. Bye. Pow. Stop recording. Boop.